Hey, good to see you guys. Good morning. Welcome to Whitewater. Uh, this is a place we say you can belong before you believe, uh, which means this is a guilt-free zone, judgment-free zone. Uh, if you look at me, like, uh, I'm not going to judge you verbally, just silently. No, I'm just kidding. Um, a lot of times when people are around religious people, they can feel that way. But if you know anything about Jesus, people love being around him. And uh, we want to be a Jesus uh, church, a Jesus-centered church. So welcome. And our goal is to help you move forward on your spiritual journey. Because here's the thing. It's not as important where you've been. The most important thing is where you're headed. And so it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for you know 80 years. And we got a few of those in our church. Or you've just started or you're exploring faith to see if this is something you're interested in. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And we just want to help you take those next steps. Um, we're in the book of Daniel. And I want to jump right in uh, for... For a few different reasons. One, we're doing all of chapter two, which is an incredible chapter. And as I was looking at it, it just had so much good stuff. I was like, this passage just kind of preaches itself. So I'm going to just read through it. I'm going to make some observations, ask some questions, maybe give a little bit of background. But I just think the story is is so vital for today. And uh, if you've been following us in, in the series of, of Daniel, uh, Daniel is all about uh, a man named Daniel. How many of you guys know a man named Daniel? A few of you? Okay, there's one playing drums today, I think. Uh, most of them are good. 60% of the Daniels I know are good people. Um, Daniel is, is the story about this, uh, Hebrew, uh, guy who's about 15 years old taken out of, uh, Israel and he was taken, um, as basically a, a refugee. He was taken basically into exile into Babylon, into another country that didn't believe what he believed, didn't value what he valued, didn't prioritize what he prioritized. And this series is really about what can we learn from the book of Daniel and his friends and his circumstances and story. What can we learn in how to, and how to live a life of faith in our Babylon when your faith feels trampled on? All right. So, uh, last week we, we really saw the print, this principle at work that, um, uh, before with God, before every uh, blessing, there is a testing, and Daniel was tested in his priorities. And Daniel determined before any dilemma happened what his priorities were. Because if you don't determine what your priorities are before the dilemma, what happens? The dilemma determines your priorities for you. And Daniel uh, passed that test. And here's the second major test. Um, in his life, and, and we see this in chapter 2. So I'm just going to jump right in. And in chapter 2, it says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one who did the hanging gardens. We learned about that last week. And uh, he was the emperor of the known world at this time. Nebuchadnezzar uh, was two years king. He had a dream that troubled him. And sleep deserted him. How many of you guys um, have weird dreams? Are there any weird dream type of people here? Uh, how many of you guys have ever had a weird dream? Come on, most people. How many people remember their dreams? Those are few and far. How many people like you just don't remember? You just remember sweet, sweet sleep. Uh, yes. My mom, there's a streak of people in our family that have weird dreams. My mom and my brother and there's a few others. And they have these really, really weird dreams. My mom one time woke up and, and she just started punching my dad. My dad was like, what, what are you doing? She's like five foot five, like really diminutive. He's like, he looks like Gimli. He's got this big beard, you know, broad. Jet. He's like, woman, why are you hitting me? She's like, I had the weirdest dream. He's like, what happened? And she's like, I was dreaming that, um, 
my brother Evan was trying to get in our van. We had this Moonmobile van. It was from the, you know, like from the 80s, Toyota Moonmobile. And you were driving it and he was about to get in and then you'd pull forward and he couldn't get in and you'd say, no, Evan, get in the van. And then right before he'd get in, he'd pull forward again. You ever seen that happen? My mom was like, that's what you were doing. And then all of a sudden, the third time that he was trying to get in, he fell and you ran Evan over. And it was a horrible, troubling dream. And my dad's like, that's horrible. She's like, that's something you would do. And you know, just like, he's like, no, he's getting in trouble for this thing that didn't happen. And um, some of us have weird dreams. And the king has this bizarre dream and it troubles him. It's like this recurring nightmare. In verse two, it says, so the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So the king brings his magicians and sorcerers, and, and in those days, those were fully employed, salaried, paid for educations. Those were like his wise men, his advisors. That was like his cabinet. And uh, he had all these sorcerers and people that would, you know, fortune tellers. Those were the ones that he would go to uh, to make decisions. And he had this dream that, sh- that worked him up so much that he had all his magicians and full-time paid, salaried uh, sorcerers come to help him. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and I am anxious to understand it. Like he's really worried. If he's bringing up his dreams with these advisors, like something's really bothering him. He's really troubled. Um, Now, like I said, I want to stop in different points in the story. And there's something that just really struck me when I was reading this. Um, In this story, the writer, which probably was Daniel is trying to help us think through our Babylon, through our world, what we might deal with. And he wanted to give us a playbook that would help us in our Babylon, in our situation. And one question I have for us is, do we know the dreams that trouble the leaders and people in our community? Sometimes I think Christians and people of faith and just people in general, we can get so locked into our own little world and our little sphere of influence and our own worries that we never think through, we don't think outside of ourselves and, and ask the question, what are the like nightmares and the dreams that are troubling or the fears that are troubling the people around us? Like what's troubling the public servants, like the police, you know, officers and teachers and firemen? What's troubling them? Like what statistics of crime are, are really worrying them? Because if we're not asking that question, then we as people of faith can't be part of the solution or answer. We need to be learning to ask some of these questions. Like when you look at, uh, when you look at parents, like what are the fears that they have? Well, probably a lot about their kids and what are they afraid of? What, what statistics of divorce? What statistics of, you know, childhood education and development are, are worrying them? What kind of statistics about like screen time on, you know, FaceTime and, 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 uh, smartphones? What, what is, uh, bothering them? What are the worries and the concerns of the people? What's the worries and concerns in the world at large? And I think people are, you know, are terrified of it with all the geopolitical and economic and ecological, you know, fears about disaster. There's a lot of people worried about like our future and, you know, there's a lot of interest in end times and using words like that. There's a lot of fear around those things. There's a lot of fear around politics and we live in a, an age where there's a lot of anxiety and fear. Do we even know what troubles the leaders and families and community members in our own culture. Now, if we were to move on, verse 4, it says, the Chaldeans, the magicians, and all of his advisors spoke to the king. 
He said, may the king live forever. We love you. We honor you. You're great. Tell your servants the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. We've done this before. Remember, he's only two years into his reign and he's taking over for his father who had died. Now in verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. Now that's strangely specific. I was reading that. It's probably a dark humor, but I was reading that like, like you'll be torn limb from limb and your house will be made a garbage dump. I'm thinking like Monty Python, like, you know, bring out your dead. I'm not dead yet. The guy gets kind of hacked to bits and he's like, it's merely a flesh wound. Um, this is not a good thing. And, and like, he's showing that he's, um, he has some violent tendencies. Can we say like Nebuchadnezzar or King Neb, Nebi, whatever you prefer, has some violent tendencies. Verse six, he says this, but if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. He asked for two impossible things. He asked not only for there to be an interpretation of his dream, but also he's asking for them to tell him what his dream was. Well, why did he do that? Well, let's read a little bit further. He asks for two impossible things, the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, they answered, all the magicians and advisors, they answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants and we will make known the interpretation. Like, just tell us the dream and we'll do the, we'll do one of the hard things, one of the impossible things you asked us to do, but not the first one. The king replied, ah, 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 I know for certain that you're trying to gain some time. You're stalling. Like, Neb might be violent, maniacal, but he's not dumb. And he says, you're trying to stall for time because you see that my word is final. You see that I'm serious. My dad might have run things a little differently, but I saw how you manipulated him. You can see a little bit of history here kind of coming out of the pages. And, and, and then he says, if you don't tell me the dream, there's one decree for you. You have all conspired to tell me something false and fraudulent until the situation changes. You just want me to tell you the dream and you're going to tell me whatever I want to hear and it's going to be false and fraudulent. And then when the winds change and if something doesn't happen quite the way you said then you say oh there's a new aspect to this you know revelation and to this interpretation he's like i don't buy it that's not the way we're going to do it so tell me the dream and i will know that you can give me its interpretation you have been paid full time you're salaried i have paid for your entire education you're magicians you're supposed to be magical prove it pretty interesting story so far huh so much of you know our modern day world would look at the Bible at times and say it's so irrelevant and it doesn't have anything to say to us and it's so boring and un- uninteresting. I was reading this chapter this week and I was like, this is like a movie. This is crazy. So um, he doesn't want to be fooled by these magicians and the, he's challenging to actually do some magic to actually work for their pay. And the Chaldeans answered the king again. No one on earth can can make known what the king requests. No one can do this. There's no training. And consequently, no king, however great and powerful, like no real king is what they're kind of saying. They're, they're complimenting him in a backhanded way. No king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What, what the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not among mortals. So they pass it on to the gods. And they're like, we can't do this. This is an impossible task you've asked. Because of this, the king became violently angry. 
Again, the little violent rage comes out and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He was going to wipe out his whole, like, his whole school, his whole advisory team, his whole wisdom group of people and, um, and start over. So this is violent. This is crazy. And, uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight and I think, I think is really important is what, what are the sources of wisdom that our world goes to? Some people might go to like magicians and fortune tellers and like, you know, you know, read my palm or tell me the future. And there's a lot of fear about the future. But where do most people go for their source of wisdom? And when, when people are facing a challenge, when you're facing an impossible situation, you don't know where do you go. Um, most people go to a few different places. I think nowadays we see people go to science and scientists like for the answers. And, you know, there are some good answers in science. You know, it's asking the question, how does this work? And there's some, that's a good question. Figuring out how things work is great. There's people who go to politicians and politics. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people look at uh, certain um, news stations. Uh, I have grandparents and uh, they love a certain news channel. Fox News is their favorite. It's their, do any of you guys have grandparents love Fox News? It's like they're, um, and then I've got other friends and like, and their family members, they love NBC or CBC. Um, some love Yahoo. Most people, uh, nowadays they love Google or they love going on their smartphone. That's where they get their information. But here's the thing. There's different, there's a difference between information and wisdom. There's a difference between information and wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to make wise decisions and then matching those decisions with actual good action. Now, um, in our world, people sometimes get more interested in other people's views than actual news and facts. And so, like, sometimes I'm worried that people aren't, they're just wanting to be told what to think and, and forgetting the skill and, like, the art of knowing how to think for yourself. And when you read the scriptures, the Bible is always trying to teach us how to think. It's not a manuscript on what to think. There are times and places where you got to tell someone, like my daughter, don't run across the road. And you got to tell her what to think because she's not able to, to know to do that. But the goal isn't for me to always live life with my daughter telling her, you know, when the car is coming or that the oven's hot. The, the goal is to train my daughter so that she recognizes the oven's hot, recognizes cars, and she recognizes bigger threats that are bigger types of ovens that can burn her worse than just a regular oven. There are things in life that I want her to be able to be wise in. The Bible's teaching us this. Now, here's something that's really important. Um, the news, politicians, science and scientists, TV, media, your, your smartphone, there are certain questions that those things can never answer. There are just certain things they can never answer. There are certain things that like take a great deal of thought and I would submit that the only one who knows how to answer the deepest questions of life and creation is the creator. Questions like, why does m- music move me? Why do these sounds, when I come into Whitewater, from these, you know, instruments, you could call them noise-making boxes that, like, all of a sudden make noises on different frequencies that our ears can pick up, why does that, like, move my soul? Why are there, why when I, why do, when I see a beautiful sunset, is there just something that grips me that's just, like, so life-giving? It's like food for the soul. Why does love matter? Why do we grieve for lost ones that we have? Why do that, why does that even matter? And in the, the the Babylonian mentality is the strong eat the weak. And if you just take a social Darwin, Darwinian perspective on life, that the strong eat the weak, that's the same old thing as Babylon. 
How do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know instinctively that the strong eating the weak, that strong countries exploiting weak countries and strong people exploiting weak people, how do you fundamentally and instinctively know that that's wrong, even though on an evolutionary perspective that's so, so right? There are certain questions that cannot be answered uh, without the help of the Lord and without deep thought. Are you with me? Now let's keep moving. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Bad deal for Daniel and his friends because they're lumped in. Even though they don't believe and hold the same values and the same faith as the magicians and the fortune tellers and all these people, they're, they are follow, followers of Yahweh, the, uh, the living God. They're, they're Jewish. In verse 14, uh, Daniel responds with tact and discretion to Arioch. And I might mention this. Daniel is probably about 17 years old at this point in the story. So everything you hear about Daniel is a, just a 17-year-old young man, his response. And what I want you to pay attention to as we read this story is when a dream and a mystery and an impossible situation comes up, I want to contrast the way that Nebuchadnezzar and his advisors react, reacted and the way Daniel reacted. Okay, so listen to just think about how Daniel reacts. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. He brings all his magicians. He seeks fortune tellers and other idols and other and people he's trained and paid for. He seeks their wisdom. Uh, Daniel responds totally differently. Um, those fortune tellers, they you know consult the bones and they look at the sheep spleen and that's what they're trying to do and they come up with no answers. And Daniel responds with tact and discretion. At 17, he might have been at oldest 21, but still a young man. The ca- and he goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, the lead executioner. Now, what do you have to do to be the executioner for the crazy maniacal king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar? I'm imagining some just huge hulk. Like just the beast, like when he was a little child, they're like, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to, you want to be a garbage man? Do you want to, you know, do you want to be a great warrior? He's like, I want to be an executioner. I, you know, I just see this big beast. And Daniel goes straight to the beast, the executioner, um, to talk with him. And uh, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. Verse 15. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so Harsh. This seems crazy. Like, where did, it went from like zero to a hundred. Like, there's one conversation, and all of a sudden I know my whole class of people are being wiped out. Um, he's like, we Jews have gotten used to this kind of behavior, but this seems like a little drastic. Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could go uh, give the kings the interpretation. Notice everyone's running from the king. All the magicians are terrified. They've tried to manipulate for time. Daniel goes straight to the king. Verse 17, the da- Daniel went to his house and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You remember them from the last chapter? His fr- friends who share the same convictions of faith with him. Urging them to ask God of the heavens for mercy considering this, mis- this mystery, this impossible task. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. Verse 19, the mystery was then revealed to, to Daniel in a vision that night. It must have been a long, lonely night at first. Like, how much, you know, anxiety and worry and fear, Lord, are you going to show up? And can you, can you help us? Can you save us? And then the Lord reveals the vision at night and Daniel praised the God of the heavens and declared 
this. Now listen to this. This is praise. This is, this is how you worship and praise God and pray to God. This is pretty powerful. He says this, may the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the season. He removes kings. He establishes kings. He's saying, God, and this is, I, I, I can't think of a more timely time than now to hear this. He's saying that God is in control of who's in control. How badly do we have, in our world, do we need to hear that? Where so many people are afraid of, you know, what politician is in power and what politicians are saying or what, you know, the economy is doing and what's happening. And believe me, there's things that need to be dealt with and there can be things that scare us. But but Daniel is is praising God and reminding us that there is a God who is still in control of those who are in control. And that God is the one who sets the boundaries on these leaders who think that they have no boundaries, on leaders who think that they set the boundaries on themselves. And God's in control. He removes kings. He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows the mysteries. He's the one that can reveal. He's the one who knows what's in the darkness. And light dwells with him. He's saying that God is the one who brings light to the darkness. He knows. He sees. There's nothing hidden from him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. The God who has come before me, who is who is existing now and will exist beyond me, I am praising you. And now you have let me know what we have asked of you. For you have let us know the King's mystery that's a good prayer yeah now here's the rest of the story so fascinating therefore daniel went to arioch whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of babylon he goes to the executioner and he came up and said to him don't destroy the wise men of babylon bring me before the king and i will give him the interpretation then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation do you guys notice for a second there, Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said, I have found a man. Did he find the man or did Daniel find him? It's interesting who this guy is looking out for. Um, some of us might live in a certain Babylon where our co-workers aren't always looking out for us either. Verse 26, the king said to the, in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. had been renamed, if you guys remember that. Are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Are you able to do the two impossible tasks that no one's been able to do and the reason I'm killing all of you? Verse 27, Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make this known. You're going to find as you read through Daniel, Daniel has like a flair for the dramatic. Does the king want to hear that there's no man, no magician, no one who's able to do this? He's already heard that. So you can just see the the blood starting to boil in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. No wise man, medium, magician, no one can know this uh, mystery that he asked about. But, as he's about to like declare like death on Daniel, like, just kill them all! Right before he says that, Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven... Who reveals mysteries. If you have your Bibles out, underline this. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. The whole passage, the whole chapter is about revealing the God who reveals mysteries. This whole passage is about this. 
And it's so important that we learn to know this, especially in our day and age, where everyone's looking for information, but they're not looking for the answers to the, to the deepest questions of life. I mean, it's under the surface, believe it, it is under the surface, but I think so many people, we, we lose ourselves on the unimportant and we miss the deepest, most important things. And Daniel says, there is a God in heaven. Who reveals? And notice Daniel when he says there aren't any mediums, uh, there's no sorcerers that can do this. He's protecting and saving his enemies. He could have just been like, yeah, like me and my buddies who prayed for this, we're good. We're the ones who are really wise and we have this awesome God, you know, to heck with the rest of them. Because we'll find out later those magicians and his co-workers try to have him killed throughout this uh, story of Daniel. But he he even saves his enemies and followers of Christ, men and women of faith. Like if we are blessed, we give that blessing, we try to dispense that blessing to even our enemies. Amen? So here's, here's what I want to get to. Here are a few steps, few things to know when you're facing an impossible situation. When you're facing something impossible, if you have a boss who says, do this, this, and this, you're like, that's impossible. No one can do this. If you have a spouse who says, do this, this, and this, you're like, that's impossible. Take the Daniel path. Don't just complain. Don't do it. Nebuchadnezzar just like want blood. Don't do what the advisor did who just, you know, run away and curl up in a little ball. Uh, Do what Daniel does and pay attention to what he did in this story. If you're facing an impossible situation with family, with friends, with health, do what Daniel did. Here we go. Number one, seek to understand the pressure while under pressure. Daniel runs to Arioch, the beast, and then he goes straight to the king, the one who's having everybody killed. He goes to the pressure to understand the pressure while he is under pressure. That's incredible. And it's, it's just so, it's so practical, like in your work, in your life, in your relationships. Instead of running from the pressure, like all the magicians and all those guys who are trying to manipulate and get away from it, the, Daniel goes straight to the point of pressure and he talks, uh, directly with them. And I, I think it's, it's important to understand this. How you understand God determines how you act under pressure. How you understand God determines how you will act under pressure. I've heard it said that, that humans are a lot of like, bags of tea you guys ever are you guys tea drinkers you put the bag in and then when it's hot you see what kind of tea it is my wife made some really good tea the other day she made two jugs of it one was amazing and then there was another one i i don't know if it fermented or what but i i i took a sip of it and it was so sour i don't know what happened and when if you really want to understand people what they really believe what their convictions really are what their deepest priorities are Watch how they react in hot water. I went to seminary with all these pastors and future pastors and everybody knew all their theology. I mean, just big brains. I mean, they were lucky they could fit their brain on their body. I mean, just super smart, smarter than me. Guys are amazing. But I will tell you, you don't know someone's true theology until they're in hot water. The magicians are in hot water. They just run and they try to manipulate. Daniel's put in hot water and he seeks the Lord and he goes to the pressure. What is going on? Why? And he goes to the king to ask the question. It's so powerful. Number two, seek time to seek a solution. If you have your notes, you might want to uh, take those out and, and take some of these down. Seek time to seek a solution. In verse 16, it says, So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the, the king an interpretation. The advisors manipulated for time. Daniel just went directly and said, Could you give me some time? This is a tough task. I want to tackle it. I want to be part of the solution, but I need some time. And the king gives it to him. Number three, Ask friends to pray. This is one of the most important things. If you're going to take something from this sermon, uh, take this down. Like, take a note out, take your phone out. 
uh, write this down. Ask friends to pray. Ask for prayer partners. Daniel, in verse 17 and 18, says, Daniel went to his house, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, like the impossible situation, urging them to ask God of the heavens for mercy, considering the, the mystery. Um, he has prayer partners. And I want to encourage you, If how many of you guys have four to five people that you could ask to pray for you on big things that happen in your life? Are there some people here? Man, I got a text two days ago from a friend of mine saying, hey, would you pray for these friends? I didn't even know who they were. They're going through this. It's really hard. Would you just pray for them by name? And all these, there are about four or five guys on the, on the text that were like, I'm praying, I've got it. When they just started praying for these people, they didn't even know them. But they were prayer partners, and it was so cool. I didn't even know I was a prayer partner for this guy. He just sent this text, and I'm like, I'm on that team. Here's the cool thing. You can be on multiple prayer partner teams. That's fine. You might have teams in your family, teams in your church, and, and, and they might be long-term prayer partners. It might be short-term. Doesn't matter. Get some prayer partners. If you do not have them, get some prayer partners. We're going to have a time of worship, and we're going to take communion today. And if you don't have prayer partners, start today. Come up and receive prayer and start building some partners into your life. It is so important. Um, let me ask you this. If you lost a loved one or had some catastrophic um, thing happen in your life, who would you call? Your closest friends, if they were to go through something catastrophic, who would they call to ask to pray? And we have a lot of people in our world that have friends that they can turn to and you know commiserate and even grieve with. But in our world, in Babylon, where there's people that don't worship the living God, very few people have friends that can call on the living God to come and do a miracle. Amen? You need to get prayer partners. If, you need, if you're not in a group, we have these groups at our church. We're launching some in the fall and in this next month. Get in a group because you'll need them. I've had friends recently go through just traumatic experiences and they had people praying for them. That's all I have time for. But I'm telling you, ask friends to pray for you. Now, number four, praise God. Praise God. The mystery that was revealed to Daniel in verse 19 in a vision at night Daniel praised the God of heavens and declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever. Wisdom and power belong to him. And and let me ask you this. When was the last time, Christians, look up here. When was the last time you were utterly blown away by God? Like you were in awe of him. When were you blown away? We can go through life just doing so much and getting lost in habits and getting lost in all the busyness and, and we can forget to take time to just be like, whoa, God, like you created that sunset. You created this little baby. You created every aspect. Like, and even though things seem crazy, you're in control and just let yourself be in awe of God. I think sometimes, I think sometimes the, some of the signs of people wandering from their faith and getting lost into priorities that really don't matter, one of the first things to go is an awe of God, being blown away by Him. Allow yourself to be blown away by God. Number five, give credit to God. This is really important. In verse 26, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Daniel answers the king, no wise man, no medium. He goes, no one can do it. And then verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. See, Daniel could grab the glory and pull it to himself, but he doesn't touch the glory. Where does the glory go? Where does the credit go? Where does the, where does all the, the, all the greatness go? To God. Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven. I'm nothing. 
There's nothing special about me. There's, I'm not wiser than anybody. I'm not smarter than anybody. Even though that's not totally true. He goes to God. That's smarter than the other guys. But he says, it's God who does this. It's God who does this. And think about this. A 17-year-old boy that's been exiled from his family, his community, separated from everything he knew, put into a godless nation, serving a godless king that's tyrannical, maniacal, violent, and wicked, is in front of this king when everyone else has run away, and he says, there is a God who can reveal this to you. And then he reveals the king's dream. How powerful it is that the 17-year-old nobody goes to the greatest king of kings and that day that he was seen as like a god lord of lords and reveals to him that you are not god and the mysteries that you're wanting can only be found in him check this out like we're going to finish this here's the last portion you guys good is okay i want to make sure you guys awake look to someone next to you and be like daniel is awesome you do that real quick make sure you guys are awake that was a little subdued okay i'm gonna have to work on that there's gonna have to be some high fives next time all right, let's, let's close this out. Here's the final, final pieces of chapter two. I think it's really, really important. Um, number six, God's mysteries are revealed to us to be revealed through us. Any blessing, any revelation, any truth that has been given to you is meant to be shared and to bless others, to bless your enemies, even to bless, like Daniel, the ones who have hurt you most. He's been captured and exiled by the King Nebuchadnezzar and he serves him. Your dream and the visions that came to you in, into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Verse 29, your majesty, while you were in bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The reveal Revealer of mysteries has let you know uh, what will happen. God is giving you a great gift, King. He's letting you know about the future. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I'm more, I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may, be, you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You don't even understand the thoughts of your own mind. Think about that. We think we're in control. Sometimes we act like we're God. We don't even understand the thoughts of our own mind. How can we be or act like God when we don't even understand ourselves? Like, and here's the thing. We look into ourselves and we look into other people to solve the biggest questions of our life. We ask people who don't even understand the thoughts of their own mind to give us wisdom before we ask the one who created our minds. How crazy is that? Daniel's, Daniel is such an amazing book because it's reminding us that, that we are limited and we need God. Verse 31, your majesty, here's, here's the reveal. As you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared that, and that statue was tall and dazzling. It was amazing. It was standing in front of you and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were, were partly iron and partly fired clay. And as you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it and struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff disappearing from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away and a hot trace, not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Did I mention that a lot of Babylonians like did an experimental LSD back in that? No, I'm just kidding. Like, this is a trippy dream, right? My brother, I told you, right? He has weird dreams too. He dreamed one time when he was about four or five that all the characters from Sesame Street turned into vampires and were trying to kill him. He says he was running and running like Big Bird, Fangs, 
Bert and Ernie Fangs, of course, the Count Fangs, and then Elmo. All of them turned into vampires and were chasing him. He went down to this brick alley and they were coming at him. He said they were huge and they were going to kill him. And then he woke up. He's like, George, what does it mean? I was like, it means you're probably going to die. He's a good brother. <laughs> he's still afraid of, of Big Bert. <laughs> Don't tell him I told you this. He's, he's, uh, he's gone today. Anyways, uh, this was the dream. So Daniel does the first impossible task, tells him the dream. Now we'll tell the king the interpretation. Your majesty, you are the king of kings, the God of the heavens that has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. He's saying the God of the heavens has given you Everything you have, King, has been given. Don't think that you're more special. Don't think that you're, you are God. God has given you everything. Wherever people live, wild animals, birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head. You, in that statue, you're the head of gold. You're the empire of gold, the strong empire. And then, uh, just for sake of time, he goes down to each piece of the, of the statue, each metal and, uh, uh, it has a, it represents something and the, the silver was the Medo-Persians that would come and take over his empire. Um, then the, the bronze was the, represented the, the Greek empire that, that was led by Alexander the Great. Um, and then the iron and clay, uh, represented the Roman empire that came. And this prophecy, um, proved so accurate that many academics have uh, over the ages claimed that it was written after the time of Christ because it was so accurate. Um, I think that's so interesting. They think it was written well after because that's the only way it would work. Um, and they've insisted that it was after the events of Christ, after the Roman Empire. It couldn't have been written before. The book of Daniel is actually one of the greatest and most remarkable proofs, the arguments of divine inspiration of scripture. Uh, it reads almost like history, but it's prophecy. It's amazing. There's three proofs I can give you really quickly about Daniel being written before the time of Christ, that it was written before these events happened as prophecy. Uh, the history, historian Josephus uh, recorded that Alexander the Great received a copy of the book of Daniel in 332 BC, before Christ, written before Alexander the Great. Uh, Daniel was, number two, Daniel was translated from Hebrew to Greek in the third century before Christ. Number three, Daniel was included in the Dead Sea Scrolls dating back to around 200 BC before Christ. There's no way the book of Daniel was written after the facts of the prophecies. Isn't that incredible? And sometimes people get so lost on the prophecies they miss the point that it's supposed to point us to the revealer. Now let's let's close this out. Forty four verse forty four. In those days the um of those days the kings, the gods of the heavens will set up the king, the kingdom that will never be destroyed, and his kingdom will will, will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. There's a kingdom he's saying that is coming. And will destroy and outlive and live forever. You saw the stone break off from the mountain with a, without a hand touching it. And it crushed the iron, the bronze, the, uh, the silver and the gold. And the great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain. The interpretation is reliable. Take that to the freaking bank. Nebuchadnezzar is what Daniel says. So what's the rock? What's the stone? The mysteries of God most 
powerfully point to the revealing of Christ to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. Uh, the mysteries that are revealed in spiritual ways, like there's a pattern that we see in scripture. They always reveal and lead us toward understanding and seeing the kingdom of God, the reality of God and seeing Christ. Colossians 1, written by Paul, says this, the mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, non-Jews, the glorious wealth of the mystery. Now here's what it is. The mystery which is Christ in you. The hope and glory. Over a thousand years ago, Nebuchadnezzar was learning about a new kingdom that was going to come and be greater than his. A kingdom that wasn't going to lead through violence and tyranny and, and, and his maniacal anger. It was going to be a kingdom of peace and generosity and love. And it was going to be stronger than any violent kingdom. It's the kingdom of Christ. And, what, and who is the rock? The rock is Jesus. First Peter makes that clear. The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. The, the kingdom that outlasts all kingdom. The stone that's, that, that others stumble over. A rock to trip over in 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8. The power of looking into the mysteries is that God has placed people in our lives to re- reveal the mysteries of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? I find in my own life that when I am hitting a mystery or there's a, an answer that I need, that God brings my prayers, an answer to my prayers, usually in the form of a person. He brings a Daniel into my life. He brings somebody for mentorship or truth or help or encouragement. How many of you guys can agree and, and testify to that? That when you have an answer prayer, often it comes in the form of a person. And anybody else? When God saw the world in need because of sin, who did he send? His son in the form of flesh and uh, humanity. You guys, this is an amazing story. And I, I'll just finish with this, this story. Sometimes... We forget that God is the God of mysteries revealed. He is the great revealer of mysteries. There was a missionary who went to New Guinea. He went to the people, to a tribal people that were uh, carnivores, and they were specifically uh, cannibal carnivores. They they ate people, and they were headhunters. And they had wars among their tribes. And this, they were the Sawi people in uh, New Guinea. And a missionary went there with his wife, and they didn't behead them or eat them because they brought medical supplies. So they kept them in their village. And he remembers having an opportunity to share with the leaders, the men, because it was a patriarchal culture. And he shared with them the story of Jesus. And he got to the point where, where Jesus was betrayed uh, by a kiss from Judas. And he was about to share how amazing Jesus was. And all of a sudden, all the men started laughing. And they just started laughing. He found out later that they were all laughing because in their culture, the heroes, the virtue of their culture was to be uh, tricky, to trick people and to be betrayers. And uh, the one who was the who was looked up as the hero was the one who could fool other people. And he realized that when he told the story of Jesus, that the whole village thought the hero was Judas, the betrayer. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And they're like, oh, Judas was so smart. And he tricked that foolish Jesus. They even came up with like a, a, a title for Jesus, which meant, I can't say it to you, but it meant the, the pig that is fattened for slaughter. The foolish one, the one who was, was fooled, the one who was tricked. And they thought Judas was the hero. And he's like, no, that's not the gospel. And he was trying, he, the, this, there was this mystery in this village. He couldn't figure it out. How do I communicate the truth of God? And there was all of a sudden moment in, in the, in the time with the, the tribe that it became clear to him. God revealed the mystery to him. And here's what it was. 
He actually and his wife were threatening to leave because there was so much violence and war had broken out. And they were eating and killing and eating. and It was just terrible. And so he was like, we're going to have to leave. Something doesn't change. And the tribe was so bothered by them leaving and by their love that they decided to make peace. And here's how they did it. One tribal leader, the chief, took his son, his favored leading son, and gave it to the other tribe. The actual chief, his enemy, gave his son to the enemy as a peace offering, a child. And that chief gave his son as a, as a peace child to be raised by that community. And if any one of the peace um, children were killed, this peace child or that peace child was killed, the war would come back. But as long as the, the, the peace child in this village and in this village were alive, it maintained the peace between the two communities. Isn't that amazing? And the, and the, and the missionary was like, God revealed it. And he, and he was like, I know how to share it. And he gathered the, the tribes and he said, Hey, I need to tell you the story and you have to know it. And Jesus was the peace child. He was given by God to a world at war that was eating its own, that was, that was just, that was awful. And we killed him. We, we destroyed the peace. And when he shared that, that Jesus was the peace child, the whole village started weeping and mourning and crying because they realized what they had done. They had, that, that Judas wasn't the hero, that Jesus was the hero and they had killed him. He said, but wait, the news is, the good news is that God raised him back from, from the dead. And then he gives the peace child forever to bring peace between God and between people and between other villages and other tribes. There's this peace child that can bring peace to the whole world. And and like the whole tribe found Christ and the other tribe found Christ. And it was just this amazing moment. And it was the, the God who had to reveal to the missionary the way to share the good news. Isn't that the same thing with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? And when Daniel reveals that to Nebuchadnezzar, the way it ends is and Nebuchadnezzar falls on his knees and begins worshiping Daniel because he doesn't know what to do. So he gets it half right. And then he worships God. And he just says, God... Your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of lords, and the revealer of mysteries. Friends, when you walk in this world, in your Babylon, whatever it looks like, and when you face the questions and the mysteries of your world, and you have friends and family who are facing mysteries and things beyond them, where they need the help of God and only Jesus can help them, may you remember the way of Daniel to become one who reveals the truths and the revelations of God that lead people to Jesus, that lead people into the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for this story that's so powerful. And it's a, it's a big story, Lord, but it's got big ramifications for our lives. I pray for anybody that's facing um, an impossible situation. Would you help them to take the steps that Daniel took? Would you help them when they're put in hot water to like the, their convictions and love for you just oozes out, Lord? I pray that that if there's anybody who's been sour in their life, that like the the tea that is created in their life would be so good. And and Lord, help us to remember before every blessing there is a testing. And I pray that when we go through the tests and trials and we see others, Lord, that your mysteries would be revealed. So that your love can reign in our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.